be on our way back to Southeast Asia. And COVID had different ideas. And so we're still here, um, waiting for the borders of the country we normally live in, Malaysia, to, to open up to us. And so we thank you for uh, wel welcoming us into this church family um, for these, this time of, I don't know, exile or something. Uh, so to, just to connect that video, that video represents uh, the, the part of the world where we normally live, where we call home. Um, and if you are interested at all in hearing more about Southeast Asia, or if you're interested in going in some way, we would love to talk to you, my wife, Karen, and I. So uh, that's all I'll say about that for now. But if you are interested, let that be a, a nagging bug in your system. About 10 years ago, Karen and I were in Atlanta representing our organization, International Mission Board, the one you just saw represented through that video, at a conference. Uh, it was a conference uh, for church leaders, and we were representing the International Mission Board at the conference. Um, his background was he worked in advertising for Porsche, or Porsche, I don't know. You say potato, I say Porsche. Um, and he was talking about his job with Porsche, and he said that, that basically his job was to more or less hijack your mind and to make you feel incomplete unless you had one of their cars. He began to realize, because he was a follower of Jesus, that what he was selling was really a false gospel. And so he quit that job and he became a pastor. Um, but we live in a world where there are just claims all around us. Most of them are false claims. Advertisements constantly promote a better life through their product, of course. Politicians offer a vision that they can't deliver on. Movies and TV shows portray superficial happinesses, if that's a word. It is now. Unlike anything we've actually, we can actually experience. False promises. Today I have the privilege of sharing about the one who actually can deliver on his promises. Last week, Pastor Kevin introduced us to this series on the Trinity. We know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Historically, the church has used um, this particular language to understand the triune God. We know God as one nature, three persons. Uh, this is not in any attempt to claim that we have God figured out. God is mystery. But God has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to look, take a, a, a more in-depth look at God the Son. Now this is a tricky topic because... Most of you, if not all of you, are fairly familiar with this topic. 
And so there's a temptation maybe to tune out. But here's why you shouldn't. We often think about Jesus in terms that we that work for us. We, we turn, we, we do it inadvertently, we do it accidentally. We turn Jesus into someone that looks a little bit more like us. And I would submit to you that there are aspects of Jesus that will challenge us all if we dare see the full picture. The unedited Jesus. So today we're going to look at Jesus in sort of a big picture glance. And I do so in three, three parts. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the human. And Jesus, the King. So we, we read from Matthew earlier. So if you have uh, your Bibles, um, Matthew 3 and Matthew 4 is where we're going to, to rest during this time. We begin with the baptism. And in Matthew so far, the very beginning chapters of Matthew, we have the birth account. And already in that birth account, it highlights that the birth of Jesus was already raising alarms for King Herod. There was a threat, a political threat. In this brief account of Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist, who is called that because he baptized people who had repented before God, not because he was denominationally affiliated with the Baptists, just so we're clear. John the Baptist was anything but conventional. Um, he, he was very much actually sort of in the, in the mold of the Old Testament prophet. He was social distancing before it was cool. Um, and it, Jesus comes to him and says, hey, can you baptize me? And, and John the Baptist, for maybe obvious reasons, says, you know, he protests this, right? Um, he doesn't feel worthy to do this. And Jesus doesn't really even answer him directly regarding his protest and just tells him to, to do it. Um, that it is to fulfill all righteousness, it says. So when John puts Jesus under the waters of the River Jordan, Jesus emerges from the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And there's a voice that declares, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. At that moment, our planet deep in rebellion, was kissed by the triune God. The Spirit comes to rest on Jesus, and Jesus has his Father's favor. There are just a couple of things I want to point out in this, in this part. First, Jesus is real. Real flesh and blood, being baptized on a particular date, in a real place that has GPS coordinates to it. And yet, he is also affirmed as God's son, making him divine. He is both God and man at once. Using language from the Nicene Creed, 
He was God from God and was made human. Secondly, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's related to this idea of the Trinity, which we're talking about these weeks. There are some who misrepresent who God is by saying that God really just appears to us in different modes at different times. That maybe first God the Father, then the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. And this moment of Jesus' baptism dispels that understanding. Father, Son, and Spirit are present here and are eternally present and eternally active. Although we see the moment that Jesus took on flesh and was tabernacled uh, among us, as Pastor Kevin mentioned last week, the Bible says that Jesus has always existed. And so when we think about the eternal Jesus, he is more than, than just a really special guy. He is God who came to us. It is beyond extraordinary. Nothing like we've, what we've experienced in all of human history. Emmanuel, God with us. Moving to this next part, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus the human. The same spirit who rested on Jesus at his baptism leads Jesus out into the wilderness for a time of temptation by the devil. Now, take, take note of this. The devil is as real as Jesus. Evil has a source, a personality, and it is the devil. There are popular conceptions of, of the devil is that he is more of an idea, a personification of evil, or maybe that he is a pitiable character in the, the God drama. Don't buy that. I believe it's dangerous to, to fall into either of those beliefs. The devil has a real agenda to build his own kingdom, to subvert the rule of God and to drag us down with him. In this passage, he attempts the biggest coup to tempt Jesus away from his mission, to save the world out of the grasp of the devil. Jesus willingly enters into this encounter. And he does so with all the vulnerability of being human. And it says that, that he fasted for 40 days. And I love how the Bible understates things here. It just says right after that, and he was hungry. Well, yeah. He fully felt that hunger. The devil tells Jesus that all he needs to do is speak and he can turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. A passage referring to God's provision of manna. Jesus has willingly endured hunger in order to submit to a bigger plan. A plan to save us, us sinners. 
Next, the devil takes him to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, he, he tells him that he can throw himself off. Surely his divine power can save him. Again, Jesus quotes scripture. And again, Jesus rejects this temptation. Third, and the final temptation, is really the, the attempted final blow, the, the coup de grace. It says, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Let's pause for a second here. The devil is offering Jesus, the son of God, the kingdoms of the earth. The devil speaks with a claim on the kingdoms of the earth. It highlights for us the wayward state of humanity. There is no neutral territory. The devil is called the prince of the earth in John 14.30. When we, through Adam, entered sin by rebelling against God's rule, we become part of the domain of the evil one. By serving ourselves, our lusts, our ambitions, we unwittingly agree to terms with the devil. Just like with most apps, we glide right past the terms and conditions in order to get to the immediate benefits of the app. We've done the same thing in life. This cannot be taken lightly. So in contrast, though, to the self-serving nature of the devil and the world, Jesus did not come, it says in Mark 10.45, to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. Each person of the Trinity has unique roles. Jesus came to us as servant and Savior. We see in this passage the full humanity of Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted in every aspect. And you might be thinking to yourself... This doesn't look very human. A human would have just given in. And I, I hear that. If I had fasted 40 days, he probably would have had me at the, the offer of the bread. But this is what humanity looks like when you're without sin. Except for Jesus, we've never seen a sinless human. So Hebrews 4.15 says, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet, and this is an important yet, yet without sin. Jesus did not take the quick path to power or the immediate relief to his personal suffering. 
Instead, Jesus rejected these offers because he knew he had to do the work of the Father. He knew that his mission was far too important to give into something petty like all the kingdoms of the world. I don't know if you're confused right now. It's understandable if you are. The devil is claiming the world as his, but he can only make it last if he can get the true king to bow down to him. And Jesus knows that only one is to be rightly worshipped in this manner, God Almighty. In this passage, let's jump to, to Matthew four seventeen. It says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These are the first recorded words of Jesus' ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This offers us a key to understand everything, understanding everything we have read. The human track record is bad. War, deception, betrayal, greed, lust, exploitation, violence. It was to such a degree that the prophet Isaiah described the situation as people dwelling in darkness. The earth under the devil's sway is one marked by darkness. And it is the world that Jesus entered But Jesus entered this world differently than the rest of us. For centuries and centuries, prophets told of one to come. One who would rescue God, uh, rescue God's people and restore the world to the way it ought to be, the way God had intended it to be. The prophecies tell of one coming in the royal line of David. Therefore, human and one who would establish God's rule, God's forever kingdom, therefore God. I will read just one of these passages, but if, for your own personal study, if you're interested, you can go to Isaiah 9, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 110. Today I'm going to read Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. And this is the vision. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So when Jesus says that his kingdom is at hand, it's no small statement. He's telling us that something big is afoot. Something is happening that will undermine evil itself. When I think about this, I think about a favorite book of mine, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which also is a movie. You can watch the movie, but you really ought to read the book. 
it's about, for some context, it's about four British school children who, um, while they're playing, happened into another land that is under hostile rule by the white witch. She has chosen to rule this exotic land in ways that are so familiar to us on earth. Power and pride are dominant. Exploitation and oppression are the norm to the point that there is no joy. That it's always winter but never Christmas. But then there is another one who comes. The great lion Aslan. Aslan is anything but safe. But he is good. And he is the true king. With his mere presence, things begin to change. The snow melts. Flowers begin to bloom. Birds begin their noisy chatter. Word is spreading. Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. The excitement, the thrill, it begins to ripple through this land of Narnia. When Jesus is being tempted, we caught a glimpse of what Satan's kingdom looks like. Now Jesus begins his ministry of reversing this. It's the beginning of the greatest power shift in the history of the world. Repent, for the kingdom of God is on the move. These facts of history force us to decide how we respond to this. These are not small claims. This is not the stuff of, I like to think of myself as spiritual and then go on living however you want. There are rival claims to the throne. We're not given a middle option here. Jesus, the Son of God, is calling us to join him in a movement to subvert evil itself. It's not a military campaign. It's not a business venture. It's not a political campaign, not at least like what we think of. It's a call to turn, to, to repent. From an allegiance to a false kingdom, a kingdom that has no, no lasting power to it, to the true king, King Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, is the true and worthy king. It's a call to worship, a God worthy of our worship. What king would do what he did? Come to live among us, willingly give his life for us, invite us, even though we rebelled, to join him in his kingdom. We've gained a close-up view of God's incredible mercy and unrelenting love through Jesus, the Son of God. This is not theory to ponder or religious pontification. The Son offers us a way out of the darkness into the marvelous light. He gives us a point of access to a holy God. Although we are far too sinful to come near God, 
Jesus was sent by the Father so that we might experience God's presence and salvation through him. For some here, this is an opportunity to turn to Christ. For those who are in Christ, we've been given the work to carry on what Jesus began. To reject the false claims of the devil. And instead, live for the true king and invite others to do so as well. John 20, 21, Jesus says this, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. How how will you respond to this calling of Jesus? Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us. Without so, without doing so, we would be in the dark. We thank you for sending your son Jesus. We thank you for a Savior who was born among us, who was tempted in every respect, and yet was without sin, who died for us as the perfect sacrifice, and who offers us life and life eternal. Father, I pray that you would re, uh, just reframe the way we look at the world. That with each increasing day that we might see the world more as you do and less like the world wants us to see it. And that in each increasing day we would grow in our Christ-likeness so that we might be bearers of this message of good news to the nations. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.